Our scripture lesson can be found in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 22 through 30. At that time, the festival of the dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I've told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me, but you do not believe because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What my Father has given me is greater than all else, and no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Let's pray. Bless, O Lord, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts. O Lord, our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. When Pastor Bob asked about the one word for your mother, mine was character. You think I'm one. You should have met Gus. My mother had what I considered to be a rather cryptic saying that she pulled out on important occasions. My twin sister and I would pay the, the dry cleaner's bills where you walk to the telephone company, the electric company, small town, and she would tell us to remember who we were. And we knew that meant something important, but at times we wondered what. And then as we got older and would go to a dance, remember who you are. Now it began to make more sense when we had our first dates. Remember who you are, and she would add then... It takes a lifetime to make a reputation, but only seconds to lose one. In other words, that statement had lots of meaning. When we went off to college, I was to study religion and philosophy to become a Christian educator. And I think my mother feared most that some professor of religion would ruin my faith with some of that funny stuff that you learn in college. Remember who you are. It wasn't until I became a mother that I realized that it could mean a number of things, but more than anything else, it meant that you're important, you're special, because you are you and you belong to me. I knew that 
They expected us to be everything that we were intended to be and nothing that we weren't. And that it also meant to remember the shepherd that we follow. She was all about keeping the main thing the main thing. It's no wonder then that the disciples and the Jewish family are surrounding Jesus in our scripture this morning trying to figure out who Jesus is. Who does he think he is? You can bet the expectations are high and incredibly risky. In our particular scripture reading, it is the festival of dedication or Hanukkah. Once again, Jesus is in the temple complex. He's teaching in the portico of Solomon and his Jewish family have gathered around him and asked Jesus to put an end to the debate once and for all about who he is. How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, then tell us plainly. The problem, of course, is that regardless of what Jesus says or does, the debate is never clear. Jesus responds that he's already told them. And the works that he has done have been all in his Father's name. The trouble with talking plainly about the things of God is that the things of God are rarely, if anything, plain. The only time in Scripture that Jesus explains plainly who he is as the Messiah is to the Samaritan woman at the well. The only other ones that recognize who he is clearly are the demons who are present at the healing events. We, on the other hand, are invited to recognize that Jesus doesn't speak plainly. He lives plainly. What Jesus does is show how faith works. Most of the time, faith isn't a clean ascent from confusion to clarity, from doubt to trust, from Good Friday to Easter. It is a perpetual process of discovering who Jesus is in our lives at the time. And the struggle should never be considered a weakness. It's what we people do. It's real life. Oh, my goodness. Haven't there been times in your life when you just love Jesus to speak plainly, to help your life circumstance make some sense? Debbie Thomas, in her webzine, Journey with Jesus, says this. If something in you feels suspended, taught, impatient for Jesus to rise again one more time into the particulars of your life, your coming and going, your nights and days, then welcome to the way of authentic faith. It's how it works. 
These days I do feel as if God is keeping me in suspense and wounding me, she says, with his silence. I can't count the number of times in the past few weeks I've started a prayer with the words of the people who approached him on that long ago December day. If you are, please, if you're good, won't you show me? If you are loving and powerful and real, please, as Messiah stops speaking, in riddles. Stop hiding when I long for your presence. And how does Jesus respond? Well, not plainly. And not at first glance very kindly. He says, I've told you and you don't believe discernibly impatient and then with that icy clincher he says you do not believe because you don't belong to my sheep ouch here's the warning in that statement Jesus says to his listeners in our text that they do not belong to his sheep, not because he hasn't chosen them and wanted them, but because they are determined to follow other shepherds, other political and religious leaders for answers that for whom there is not the right time. The nagging trouble with Jesus' indictment is that it does apply to our spiritual experience, not rarely, but often. When we ask Jesus to keep us from being in suspense, when we insist that Jesus speak plainly, are we not really saying, I'm having trouble trusting you? You're supposed to be a good shepherd. I'm supposed to know your voice, but I can't hear it. Other shepherds are easier to see, hear, or follow. Thanks be to God, John helps us this morning by making it more clear for us. At first glance, Jesus' reply might appear to suggest that belonging to him depends on us believing. Do you hear that? That belonging to him depends on us believing in him. When in fact Jesus is saying exactly the opposite. You struggle to believe because we don't consent to belong. We can't believe first. It says belief doesn't come first, belonging does. And therein lies our hope and our consolation in the journey. The good shepherd tells us that everything depends on belonging to him. Never does our status before God depend on how we feel, on having the right experience, 
on being free of doubt or on what we have accomplished. It depends on only one thing, that we are known by the shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow. I give them eternal life and they will not perish. Which means, no matter how crazy or difficult or stressful or scary our life is, God chooses you and me, loves us, wants to walk with us and hold on to us throughout all of our life, even through death into new life. That's what God offers. John is eager to preserve the fundamental belief that God is the one who initiates a relationship with us. God seeks us out long before we know how to seek God. You want it plain? Well, here it is. Christ makes us his sheep. We do not make him our shepherd. Max Licato in his book, You Are Special, tells of the land of the wooden doll people called Wimmicks. Those who are talented get stars and those who are not get dots. One such Wimmick was Punchinello. Punchinello, the poor little thing, was covered in dots, and he remembers being in a discussion with his creator, the woodcarver named Eli. Eli lifts up Punchinello off the bench, sets him on the ground to send him on his way, and says, remember, you are special because I made you. I don't make mistakes. Punchinello didn't stop because in his heart he thought, I think he really means it. Secondly, clarity is there, if there is any in our day-to-day, is based on that relationship. Sheep know and trust the shepherd, not because they've gone through some rational, intellectual discernment process, but because they trust the shepherd's caring and leadership and behavior. According to this text, whatever belief we arrive at in this life will not come from a creed, a doctrine, or a cleverly worded sermon, right? Right. The strength of our life, the strength of our life will come from the daily, hourly business of belonging to Jesus' flock, of walking in the footsteps of the shepherd, living in the company of fellow sheep, and listening in real time for the voice of the one whose classroom is life. In short, our weakness is not cause for worry. It's the backdrop against which God has chosen to display his glory. Let me say this. 
the difference between a small life and an expansive one is simply about whom we follow. Not about how adequate we are, how confident we are in our belief, but in the power of our shepherd to love us. On Wednesday at Bible study, I shared the story about Charlotte Elliott. Most of us don't recognize that name. She was a poet and described herself as a complete invalid. She was overcome with anguish about the purpose of her life. What could she do? And yet she had this enormous faith. So she wrote a hymn. In 1835, she wrote, Just as I am without one plea. The hymn restated her essentials of faith, which are that the gospel of God's forgiveness, the peace that comes from the relationship with Christ, and her confidence in heaven. It was published first in a leaflet and then in the Invalid's Hymn Book. And it appeared under the scripture, him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. Fifty some odd years later, it arrived in our Methodist hymnal. It became famous at the Billy Graham Crusades when who? George Beverly Shea would sing it in that huge bass voice, and it would go on and on and on and on as thousands came out of the stadium seats to receive Christ. Charlotte Elliot, invalid, had no way of knowing she would influence the spiritual walk of millions of people with her words. In her mind, she simply loved and followed the shepherd. If we don't follow him into the layers and places of tranquility and treachery, trust and doubt, what can Jesus do in those places? If we follow others for our security and direction, for some imagined clarity, well, we'll have to decide which flock to belong to. Said another way, we just can't have two masters. Now, why does this all matter? It becomes clear to us in verse 30 where Jesus says, the Father and I are one. We might be tempted to understand that in terms of the Trinity, being of the same person, but that's not what it says. In Gail O'Day's Greek commentary, he helps us understand that the word one in this context is an adjective suggesting not that they are the same essence, but their work is the same in character and content. 
In other words, Jesus and God are united in their mission. And you can't tell God's work from Jesus' work. And you can't tell Jesus' work from God's work. And why is that such big news? Because you and I have been invited into that divine partnership. The Father and Jesus are one with the invitation to be one with them for the kingdom's sake. It's the difference between a small life and an expansive one. It's about remembering who we are and finding clarity in our mission and movement forward. How we help others and invite them to the flock. Fred Craddock one Sunday was speaking in church And he had to leave to go right away to another uh, service. And so rather than standing out front and greeting folks, he cut through the choir room. And uh, there was a woman there taking her robe off. And he thanked her for the beautiful anthem that morning. And she says, I'm done with church. I quit. Now, Craddock has known her for years. She's been a member of that church forever, served in all the committees, done all the things that you can do, including singing in the choir. And he said, why are you quitting? She said, I sat up there in the choir loft this morning. I looked at the choir members. I looked at the minister. I looked at the worship leader. I looked at the ushers. And I looked all over the congregation, and I finally said to myself, who cares? Craddock said, oh my gosh, everywhere I go, people in church care everywhere. And she said, name some. Craddock ended his story by saying, she wants names. She wants names. May I use yours? May I give her your name? I want you to know that when I am out and about and meet new folks and conversations start up, it always gets around to what do you do? And I say I am one of the pastors at Stony Brook Church. And we begin to be in conversation about the church home. And I say, you know, the pastors are okay, but you should meet those people. Because they make it clear for me. I see Jesus everywhere I look because they remember who they are. It's so clear. The Father and Jesus are one, and they are one with him. You bless me. So what's the truth? That you are who you are, and that God loves you that way and needs you to be who you are in every moment of confidence and in every moment of self-doubt. You are indeed a sheep of Jesus' fold. And nothing, no one, no thing, no church, 
No institution changes that, ever. You want to make it plain? Just remember who you are. You're a child of God, deeply loved, and chosen, warts and all. You're a sheep of his flock, and when you love others like Jesus does, you're a necessary and important kingdom builder. I thank God for you. Amen.